Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because it's where we're going to be. This morning we are in a series called One. We're talking about uh, the oneness, the unity that God has given us in Jesus Christ and all the different ways that that oneness is expressed. And uh, we're going to talk today about something that uh, hopefully is uh, something you can relate to, maybe something you've wrestled with a little bit, uh, just to kind of get you thinking. So uh, back in 2010... Uh, was a kind of an Im- important year for me. It was a, a year where I kind of really felt I needed to stop thinking about uh, missions and praying about missions and supporting missions, and I actually needed to do missions. And so I really felt pressed by God that year to be part of the Nicaragua team. And so um, I went ahead and signed up and raised the money and went through the training. I was very excited to go and uh, had my bags packed and all that. And part of my, you know, my responsibility was when we got there, I would be, I would be preaching in churches. I would be doing some teaching, um, spending time with some pastors, uh, training them in pastoral uh, care and how to preach and theology and all that. And that was, that was my job. Uh, at the same time, we were going down to, we went to several sites where we were building um, churches. And so we, we got there and I, I kind of remember like, you know, we'd go to a church and I'd preach and that was great. And then uh, we'd go out one day to a work site and we were you know, digging trenches and kind of getting ready to build a church. And I remember like being there one day and I was digging and... Um, we needed to do some plumbing. And so one of the guys was like, I could do some plumbing. He was really good at plumbing. And so he went and he started plumbing. And, and I thought, well, I'll go try to help him. <laughs> I'm not a plumber. So, you know, like he's like, oh, you hand me that elbow and get that thing. And, you know, we're kind of doing all that. And at one point I just was watching him work and just, I was just felt like so inadequate. Like, you know, wow, I'm not, a, I can't do plumbing. And, and, you know, what good is a preacher right now when you need to hook up a toilet? Like, who cares if you can preach through the book of Luke? It's just, what does it matter? And then um, I remember working with an electrician one day, you know, and oh, we got to get this panel done. And so he's working on the panel and can you hand me that thing and this? And I'm, again, I have no clue what to do. I could barely change a light bulb, you know? And so again, I'm like working with him that day and I just feeling completely inadequate. Like again, you know, who cares if you can exegete Habakkuk? If you can't hook up a panel, what does it matter if you need electricity? And now we're thinking, happened like going through the trip I I'm you know I'm around people who like had great language skills that I didn't have in terms of speaking Spanish and and people who had personalities where they could just jump in and have conversations with people they didn't know and and other people on the team just had tons of energy you know I'm not really a morning person I'm super annoyed by people who are when they like jump out of bed and I'm like just shut up and sit down you know and and that's like me and I just kind of being around all these people and then I remember being on the plane coming home and I and thinking to myself, like, just having this inferiority complex, like, you know, what can I do? I don't, like, I have nothing to offer. I just preach and teach, and that's all I can do, but I can't hook up a toilet, so what good am I? I can't hook up an electrical panel. I can't even, I can't even, I dug a trench, but it wasn't even straight, so, you know, like, what's, what's my, and I, I remember going home and going, you know, it's a great trip, but I'm never going to go again, because I'm just a, I'm a third wheel, you know, like, what good am I? And, and I remember getting home, and reading 1 Corinthians 12, which I want to share with you today. And this passage just kind of, in fact, it, it, what it taught me was what I already knew, but that there's something better than being able to do everything really well. And that is to be a part of a team where together 
you can do things well. That's even better to be a part of a team of people who will support you and bring strengths that you don't bring. That's, that's even better. In fact, I was so struck with 1 Corinthians 12 that uh, I've gone back again the last three years um, with teams because I've finally been able to figure out, yeah, I'll never be an electrician and I'll never be a plumber, but God has given me a role to play. Now, I don't know, maybe you felt like that at times. Maybe you've been around people who have spiritual gifts or can do things that you can't do and you thought, oh, you know, I can't really do what they can do. Maybe I, sometimes I've had parents share that with me, a husband or a wife, say, you know, when I'm around my mate and I see the way they do parenting, I just feel so inadequate. I can't do it like them or I can't really do marriage like my mate can. And I just, again, I feel inadequate at work and I've got come to church. I get involved in ministry. I see people who can do all these things really well and I can't do them well. And I'm like, you know, what part do I have? Well, I want to talk about that today because we are, we are one. And that's a, that's a great thing. So looking in 1 Corinthians 12, I want to share um, some verses with you. Starting in verse 12, what we're going to learn is this. First of all, as a church, sorry, as a church, we are a body. We are one. That's what he's going to say starting in verse 12. Just as the body. So he's going to, Paul's going to give us a metaphor. He wants us to understand something about ourselves today. And that is, he says, just as the body. So think of your body. Just as uh, your body is one unit, right? Just one. You only have one body. You don't have two, you have one. And, it, and yet it has many members or, or parts is what some translations say. So you only have one body, but there's many different parts to your body. You got fingers and toes and all that, right? You're not just a finger. You're not just a toy. A toy. It has many, many parts. And all the members or all the parts of the body, though many, are one. So he's going to do this a lot. There's many, but one. Many parts, one body. Only one body, many parts. So it is with Christ's body. So it is with the church. Now, the New Testament has a lot of different descriptions of the church, different metaphors. Um, it's compared to a family. It's compared to a bride. It's compared to a military unit, to a building. Paul's favorite is to compare it to a body. He says that uh, the church is like a body, specifically the body of Christ. And the body is like an awesome an awesome metaphor, if you will, because it's cross-cultural. Everyone gets a body. No matter where you go in the world, you can talk about the body. And people are like, oh yeah, I, I get that because everyone's got one. And it, you know, it's one of the first things we, we teach our kids, right? You know, where your eyes, where's your nose, where's your ears, where's your hair? I don't know. Um, you know, but we teach our kids that. And, and really a body is an amazing thing. It's great because it's very simple. You only have one. And yet it's, it's just infinitely complex when you think about it. Just the, the, the beauty of the body. Watching uh, someone carrying an infant this morning, you know. Moms, you know, you think, don't you? Like, this is the most amazing bundle of miracle I've ever held. It's just, it's a miracle that a baby can come into the world and, and, and grow up. It's, it's amazing stuff. When you're born, you have 270 bones that kind of fuse down into 206 by the time you're an adult. You have over 650 skeletal muscles and 200 different kinds of cells in your body. And within those 200, there's another 20 subdivisions of those cells. And the psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our body has many unique parts. There is a complexity to the body, and yet it's just, it's just one. And oftentimes, we don't even realize how intricate and how interconnected our body is 
until something isn't working right. I, like most of us, if you woke up this morning and everything was working right, you didn't give your body a second thought. How many times do we wake up in the morning and everything's working? And we're like, woo, everything's working perfectly today. You know, usually we take that for granted. But when something isn't working, that's when we start to think about the body and the inner, interconnectedness, when there's a pain, right? When something breaks. This, this last summer, I had fractured both of my legs. And I mentioned to you, it's like I started noticing things I had never thought about before. Like well, once I did that, then I began to have a lot of pain. And I had pain at night, so I wasn't sleeping at night. And then uh, because I wasn't sleeping, I was tired all day. And I, had a, so, and I had a headache. So suddenly it was my legs, but I'm not sleeping. I have a headache. I'm, I'm, I, well, I, did, I don't think I was, but I was told I was grouchy. I don't think I was, but that's what I was told. So apparently it was affecting my mood too. And then I, doctor put me in a boot. So I walked crooked and that hurt my back. And then they put me on crutches and that hurt my arms. And you know how, because everything's interconnected. And a lot of times we don't think about it, right? Until something goes wrong. And then all of a sudden we're like, wow, this is, this is a pretty complex thing, isn't it? So he says that, that the body has many parts to it, many, many members. When he says members, he's not talking about like, you know, Fruit of the Month Club member. He's talking about like when you become a Christ follower, you become a member, you become a part of Jesus' body. You're a finger or a toe or a leg or whatever it is. You're, you're a member, you're a part. And he says, we have all these members, but they're just, they're just one body. They're, there's just one. Think about that for a minute. That means there's only one body. That means that we're all connected, right? Whether we like it or not, we're all connected because there's only one body. So it's not like, well, we'll have, our, we'll, have a, we'll have a little body over here. We'll have like the youth body over here. We'll have like the women's ministry body over here. And the men, no, it says, no, there's just, there's just one body. We're just, we're, we're one. And we're all connected. In verse 13, he says, for we were all baptized by, again, one's our theme, so, you know, Got to capitalize that. We, we were baptized by one spirit. How many spirits are there? There's only one. Into how many bodies? There's only one. Whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we were all given the, again, one spirit to drink. We were baptized by the one spirit. When you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he fills you with the spirit. He describes it as being baptized because it's like you're dunked in the spirit. You're filled with the spirit. You're overflowing with him. And, and because of that, the spirit connects you to the other two parts of the Trinity. And he connects you to the rest of the body of Christ. And then he talks about Jews and Greeks and slaves and free. See, in the ancient world, there was a lot of hostility between those groups. So he mentioned them for a reason. There was a lot of hostility and anger between Jews and Greeks, between slave and free. We might not have those particular groups today, but we still have groups in which hostility exists. You know, there's always the Panthers and the papermakers, right? There's a certain amount of hostility that exists between those groups. There's Republicans and Democrats. There's racism that divides people. It's not unlike the kind of genocide that still exists in parts of the world today where people hate each other so much, they're willing to kill each other for no other good reason than they're a different race, a different background. And then Jesus comes along. And it says he, he makes us new people. We're no longer divided by gender. We still have gender, but we're no longer divided by gender. We still have race, but we're no longer divided by race. It doesn't matter your social status anymore. It doesn't matter your educational level anymore. It doesn't matter if you live east or west of Taco Bell. It doesn't matter. We're all made to be one body now. Those things become secondary because Jesus becomes primary. 
He's the one who unites us. And now we are equals in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in God's family. We are one church because there's only one. There's only one church. And part of what Paul's trying to say here by talking about many, one, many, one, many parts, one body, many gifts, one body is this, that our unity is created in the midst of diversity. In the church, there is unity, but there's not uniformity in the church. There is diversity, but there need not be division because we have one Lord, because there's only one faith. There's only one cross. There's only one body. At Gateway, we have a a lot of people who, outside of this place, under normal circumstances, would never hang out together. Yet they come together and we worship, we praise the Lord, we pray together, we're unified, we're serving one another. What is it that unites us? It's Jesus Christ. It's his love for us. We are a family. And now we want to love each other because there's only one body. You look around in this room, you see people you don't know, you're connected to them. You see people you know you don't want to know, <laughs> you're connected to them. The people who came uh, a couple hours ago to church, you're connected to them. The people that came here last night, you're connected to them. You say, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, it doesn't matter. You're connected to them. We're family. That's the first thing he tells us. Here's the second thing. We are one, but we are also greater than one. In John 14, 12, here's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will also do the works that I do. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, what does that mean? Like, and I, I mention this because uh, for some reason over the last six months, I've read some really wacko doctrine based off this. Like I, one guy who said, basically what this teaches is that the Holy Spirit is greater than Jesus Christ. And he ties this into the context. And he says, see, so the spirit is greater than Jesus. And then there's a whole movement of Christians who think that what what this teaches is that we actually will be greater than Jesus. We are greater, we are more important than Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Is that what he's saying here? Well, I mean, think about it. Jesus had a pretty impressive resume, right? I mean, he did some pretty crazy stuff when he was on earth. Does this mean that, you know, if I, I could go walk on the Washougal River then if I want to, because I'm going to do greater things than him, then I, I can go up to the motocross track and feed thousands of people with a couple of Big Macs and, you know, uh, blizzards from Dairy Queen. Is, is that what he's talking about? No. Now, Jesus isn't talking about his work to atone for our sin. Jesus alone atoned for our sin. And when he did it, it was finished. He said, it is finished, it is done. No one can do anything. None of us can do anything to add to the atonement for the sins of the world. Instead, what he's talking about is this. When Jesus came to this earth, he chose to live in a body like ours with all the limitations that our body has. In particular, it means that while he was on this earth, he was not omnipresent. Now, omnipresent means that God is everywhere at all times in, you know, every possible place. But Jesus confined himself to live in a body. So he can only be in one place at a time. That meant he could not talk to every person on this earth. He could not care for every sick person. He could not share the gospel with every individual. He could not feed every hungry person. But eventually Jesus went to the cross 
where he atoned for our sin. He was buried, he rose from the dead, he returned to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit. And when you and I become a Christian, the Spirit lives in us and connects us to the Trinity. It connects us in particular to Jesus Christ, who now lives in us and works through us. Now, we're told that there are roughly 2 billion Christians today. I don't really know um, how how realistic that is, but let's say there's 2 billion Christians. And what that means is that now Jesus has 2 billion mouths to proclaim the gospel instead of one. He has 4 billion hands uh, to minister to people, to feed people, to care for people. He has 2 billion or 4 billion feet to, to or some more or less, to, to, to get around and to minister to people and take the gospel to places. So now Jesus can take the gospel to greater numbers of people, feed more, heal more, care for more. How does he do that? Through his body. That's why for, you know, I I kind of struggle with the theological concept that we are metaphorically the body of Christ. It seems like we are actually literally the body of Christ, are we not? As we minister to the world. Now Jesus has more hands and feet and mouths and ears to work with. And the third thing is this that we are one in diversity. Couldn't fit it all on one line there, so there you go. Somebody said, what's a diversity? It's a diversity. Uh, We are one in diversity. So what I mean is this, we need people like you and we need people unlike you because think about it. If everyone in the church was exactly like me, can (laughs) can you imagine like, okay, that wouldn't be a good thing. Here's what he says. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, it's one body, but it has many parts. And he says, that's a good thing. Now, I'm married to Christy. My wife reminds me all the time, we are different. There are times when we are dealing with issues, dealing with problems, trying to solve solutions. And she often says to me, as she did last night, honey, have you noticed? We're different. We think differently. We feel differently. We are different. She reminds me of that all the time, right? And, that's a, and I remember that's a good thing because our diversity makes us a better team to raise kids. It's better because of that. Well, I said to my daughter last night, can you imagine if we were both like dad and my daughter, well, never mind. I won't tell you what she said. But anyway, she said, it's better that you're different. It's, you know, that, that works out better. Our marriage is, is better. And so it is in the church. We are better because we are diverse because we bring many different things to the body, to the table. Now, I say that because sometimes I meet people who, and their attitude is like, I just wish everyone was like me. I wish everyone thought like me and felt like me and prioritized. These people have different priorities. They drive me crazy. But the truth is we need people like you and we need people unlike you. See, because the body of Christ is made up of, of people with many different, we call it shapes, many different shapes. Um, the S in shape stands for spiritual gifts. So the Bible says God has given every believer a spiritual gift. Some have the gift of teaching and some have the gift of, of, of compassion and some have the gift of helps and administration, all sorts of different spiritual gifts. All of us have different spiritual gifts. And then we have uh, a different heart. That's kind of the things that we're passionate about. Have you noticed that people around you don't necessarily have the same passions that you have? Because we're unique. We have different 
passions. And then there's um, the A, which is for abilities. So we're all born with different, you know, bents and, and abilities. Some of you are very mechanical and some of you are good at, at uh, solving problems and, and some of you are good with numbers and some of you are good musicians and those are natural abilities that God gives you. And then there's the P, which is personality. Have you noticed that? That not everyone has your personality? You're like, yeah, I've noticed that, right? Now, sometimes that's good. And sometimes, again, that might drive you crazy. And then everyone has different experiences. God uses experiences in our life to shape us. And when you put all of this together, this shape, spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, experiences, it means that you have something very unique to offer the body of Christ. Now, I say that because sometimes we find that annoying right? People who are different than us. But God says diversity makes us stronger, more complete, and more effective. And then Paul just, he's trying to be humorous here, all right? It's, it's humor's lost on a lot of people, but he's trying to be humorous. So he just says, think about it this way for a minute, right? If the foot should say, which is funny, if the foot should say, uh, because I am not a hand, I, I don't really have an important part in the body. It would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. So he, he says, imagine the body's cruising down the road one day and the foot looks at the hand and says, man, that hand is super cool. I wish I was a hand. I'm just a foot. You know, what do I do? They cover me up. Nobody sees me. I smell. No one cares about me. But the hands, the hands get all the glory. The hands get to pick up the nachos, right? I'd pick up the nacho, but then no one would eat it, right? Because I'm a foot. Like the cat, like, like the hand gets the, you know, the steering wheel. Like it's it gets to steer the car. It gets to change the, the TV channel. It gets to shoo away the cat. Hands get to do that, right? What does a foot get to do? No. Actually, you know, he's like, oh, I can do something with the cat, but we can't talk about it. So, like, I can't, I can't pick up the nachos. But, but what he's saying, what, what Paul's trying to say is this, but how does, the, how does the hand get to the nacho, right? Well, it doesn't because the foot gets it there. Paul's just trying to say, I'm, we're being silly, but when you sit there and think, you know, well, I'm not a hand, well, I'm not a teacher, well, I'm not a counselor, well, I'm not whatever it is, I'm not a musician. He says, that's kind of silly. That's like the foot saying to the hand, well, I'm not really important because I'm not a hand. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we get an inferiority complex about who we are. Sometimes we get a little proud. That's the other side. Like, I just don't understand why everyone else in the church can't just think like me. I don't understand why everyone in the church can't just feel like me. Like, have you ever been like, like, some of you have actually said this to me, all right? Like, oh, you know, they're, oh, look at her. Oh, she's going to start crying. She cries every time we sing that song. Oh, why does she have to, why do people have to cry? Or some of you are like, I don't understand why that guy doesn't have any emotion at all, right? He never cries. He never laughs. He never, what are you saying? You're saying like, I wish everyone was just like me. I wish everyone felt just like me. I wish everyone had emotions just like me and worshiped like me and related to others and liked the songs and all that kind of stuff. When you say that, what you're really saying is, I think the church should reflect me, not Jesus. So he says, there's a balance there. You don't, you, you have an, you're, you're an important part of the body. Don't have an inferiority complex, was me, I'm the one, and, and don't be proud about who you are as well. He goes on and he says this. And if the ear should say, again, these talking body parts that aren't a mouth, and if the ear should say, because, because I'm not an eye, right? Like that eye's pretty cool, I'm just an ear. I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, and this is his point, God has arranged. God has arranged the parts in the body. God decided what part you would play 
and he puts you in the body. Every one of them. Everyone, that includes you. Just as he wanted them to be. Who put the church body together? God did. Who designed it? God did. Every part, God did. You, God did. He designed you. He has a role for you. He has a part to play. So when you despise who you are, when you're like, oh, I wish I was a plumber. Oh, I wish I was an electrician. Oh, I wish I could do that. What can I do? I can only preach, right? What you're doing is you're questioning God's wisdom, God's plan. And come on, we can do that sometimes, can't we? We start to compare ourselves to other people. Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I was a teacher. I wish I was a counselor. I wish I was a visionary. I wish I was a musician, right? We could do that sometimes. But God decided where you would fit. And because of that, you are important to us. We need you. God made each of you with unique abilities. And without you, we as a church are not complete. You know, sometimes we get really weird attitudes about this stuff, about our giftedness. Sometimes here's, I, I'll see this. Sometimes people walk in the gateway, visitors walk in the gateway, new people, and they'll, they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll say, and they don't use these exact words, but, I, but here's what I hear. You guys really stink, okay? Like sometimes people come up and they'll say, you guys really stink at, and then they'll tell me what it is. Like, you know, you stink at, you know, you don't welcome visitors very well, right? Or, or I don't really, you stink at, you know, kids' church. It's not that really good. Or I went to youth group and you kind of, you guys aren't very good at that. Or I went to a grow group group and you know you guys aren't very good at and I'll get this sometimes like you guys aren't very good at this you're not very strong at this and and what you see sometimes is people God will give somebody a strength and they'll walk in and they'll see a a weakness in our church and we certainly have weaknesses but people walk in and see a weakness and instead of thinking hey maybe that's why God brought me to gateway because I have a strength because I can strengthen the church instead they just judge and then they run right? Like, you guys stink, and now I'm out of here. Instead of jumping in and making us stronger, here's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see somebody walk into our church, somebody who's gifted by God in a particular area, and say, you know what? You guys aren't very good at this, and, and I'd like to help, and I'd like to be involved, and I'd like to, I'd like to serve, not just, you know, be a critic and walk away. See, there's a big difference between a critic and a servant, They're two different things altogether. The critic sees a hole or a weakness in the church and judges the church. A servant sees a weakness and jumps in and gets gets involved and says, hey, maybe this is why I'm here. Now, when when we talk about spiritual gifts, and if you've studied spiritual gifts before, you may... I've studied 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, which is kind of where we get some of the lists of gifts. Again, things like serving, administration, teaching, helping, that kind of stuff. Um, And I've seen lists that range anywhere from seven to, you know, 30 plus spiritual gifts. I'm not going to talk about the individual gifts, but I do want to talk for a second just about like some big broad categories. Like we could say this, all of us fall into one of three general categories, our perspective of gifts. And the first is what I call kind of the leader gifts. So some of you have leadership gifts that God has given you. Now, usually a person who has a leadership gift is a person who has a, a passion for the big picture. People with a leadership gift don't necessarily walk in and know everyone by name and spend time with individuals. These are kind of people who walk in and they have a passion for doctrine. They have a passion for vision. 
They're kind of like people walk into church and go, how's our doctrinal statement? And is it, you know, is it reflecting the truth of God? How's the preaching going? Is it coming from scripture? How are our Bible studies doing? What's being taught? Is it solid? Who wrote the material? Are people learning doctrine? Are they becoming good theologians? Are we, are we got some systematic theology going on here and apologetics? What are our goals as a church? Are they biblical? Are we reaching our oikos? Are, are, are people being sanctified? Leaders kind of walk in and they're like, are we on track with God and his word and glorifying people? Those are, those are leaders. Um, and then there are shepherds. Shepherds are really different. There's a bunch of different gifted uh, areas where it's all about shepherds. A shepherd comes in and they're like, I don't really, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get involved in the big picture. I just want to be with people. I just want to be with individuals. I want to be with an one person or, or, or two people. They ask the question. Leaders walk in and say, how's our church doing doctrinally? Shepherds walk in and say, are we loving people, right? Now, so for some of you, you're like, of course, right? That's like the only thing that matters. And so you probably gifted that way. These are people walking and say, how are we caring for people who walk into our church who are visitors? Uh, how are we, are we taking care of people in our girl groups? Are, are our leaders really shepherding their people? Are we praying for the needs of the church? Are, are we equipping people to share God's love with our community? Are we helping the poor and the widow and the orphan and the needy and the addicted and the hurt? Are we helping the people? And then there's a third group, which we, I just call stewards. These are people who are administrators and organizers. And the Bible says that that's, those are spiritual gifts too. Organization, accounting, and, and you know, building networks and organization. These are people who are good at planning, who are good at you know, flow charts. Who are, they're, they're, they're good financial planners. They do accounting. Uh, they, they're able to keep up the building because that's a lot of work. Coordinating calendars and supplies and do we have enough paper? And, you know, are we using our resources wisely? So you, we kind of have these, they're, they're very different. You could see how a leader walks into church and see, they, they see one thing, a uh, shepherd walks in, thinks another thing, a steward walks in, thinks another. Really each one of these, they think of loving a little differently. And sometimes this causes clashes in the church. Like a leader walks in and they're basically like, the way we love is we teach the word of God. We apply the word of God. That's how we love. Sometimes people go, oh, that, that wasn't very loving, you know, what you said. Oh no, that's how we love. That's, but I don't really know you. Well, it doesn't matter. That's how we love. We teach the word of God. Shepherds love by serving you, by being with you, by knowing your name, by caring for you. Sometimes shepherds and leaders, they don't get along. Sometimes shepherds look at leaders and go, you're so impersonal. Sometimes leaders look at shepherds and say, you're so mopey, you know, like, you know, just like kind of, we don't, and, and there's tension sometimes. And then there's stewards who walk in and they love you by organizing. And a lot of times they're behind the scenes. You never see what they do. They make sure that the, the rent is being paid. So we have a place to meet and the electric bill is being paid. So we have heat on. That's how they serve you. They, they do accounting. Uh, you know, they make sure that there's, there's chairs to sit on. And what happens is sometimes these, well, for an example, I came to Gateway uh, 21 years ago. When I came to Gateway, I was, I, I'm pretty sure I was a leader. Um, I think that was kind of my bent. Because my attitude was like this. I came to Gateway and I would be like, why can't we just teach the Bible? All right. I, I, why can't I just teach the Bible and you take notes and then you, you, you do it and you all grow up and so we don't need counselors, all right? Because you all grew up, right? And we don't need this ministry and this ministry and this ministry. Just 
Study your Bible and grow up and be a mature adult about this, okay? And I can remember for years, like, just like, that's all we need. And then I started to realize, well, we need shepherds and we need stewards. But I kind of, there was this period where I would have told you, we need shepherds and stewards to support the work of preaching, right? And then there came a, right, because like, you know, I don't, not like we really need them, but we kind of need them. And then there came a day when I realized, actually, we need shepherds and stewards every bit as much as we need leaders because God has given all of them to the church and they are all important and they are all valid. We need all of them. Someone has to coordinate our resources here and heaven knows it's not gonna be me. We need uh, to coordinate building spaces and calendars and once again, I proved to myself yesterday, I'm not even capable of using a calendar. You don't even wanna hear about it but and you know, we gotta keep up the website and there's building maintenance and technology and insurance and safety issues and visitation and accounting and counseling and infant and kids and youth and parking and I'm like, why can't we just teach a Bible, you know? But that's what we do. We have, but we need to learn to appreciate the different ways that people love and serve the body of Christ. That's what he says. If, if, if they were all one part, right, where would the body be? Well, there wouldn't be a body. We'd just all be an ear or an eye or whatever it is. As it is, here we go, once more. There are many parts, but there's only one body. Many parts, one body. Beware of the temptation to think that your particular gifting is more valuable than the others. That the others are just, oh, it's just there's so much trouble, you know, there's so much work. It's like, it would be like if your hands decided they don't need your head anymore. We took a vote. It was two to one or 10 to one, you know. We don't need the head. We're just going to chop off the head, right? That's called suicide, right? But churches do that all the time. Where churches decide, well, we don't need those people. We don't, we don't need those. We, they're, they're too much work. It's just too much work to do that. Churches do this all the time. See, we need every gifted person that God brings to this church. Everyone, every woman, every man, we need them both. We need the young and the middle and the old. We need them all. They're all valuable to the church. We need the rich and the poor and every race and single, and married, and Democrats, and Republicans. I know some of you are like, no. Yes, we need them all. We need people who are native to the Northwest, and hopefully, I pray, Californians are okay too, and we need Panthers and papermakers. And see, Gateway needs people like you and people unlike you. Because we, as a, as a body, are more like Jesus. We reflect Jesus when we are unified in our God-given diversity. There's a reason why... <laughs> There's just, you'll, you'll notice this. You'll notice this pattern. Study, go, in, go into your New Testament sometimes. Uh, look in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. I've got it in your notes for you. Look in um, Romans 12 and look in Ephesians 4. And here's something very interesting you'll notice. Every time the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, every time the, the Bible talks about diversity, guess what it always talks about immediately after that? Love. Every time. Why do you think that is? <laughs> because I think our diversity sometimes can cause division. When in fact, God says it should cause unity. So don't miss the love. Don't miss it. And here's our last point. And this is really not so much a point as it is just a kick. All right. We are one in commitment. Right. So here's how we don't work as a church. 
The way we don't work as a church is what will we say, well, I'll let them serve, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. I'm not a teacher. I'm not an administrator. I'm not important. So I'll just sit back. See, here's the thing. Every part of the body needs to do its thing. My question is, what's your part? Because whatever your part is, we need you. We need you to do what it is that God made you to do. And if you're not doing it, we're suffering because of that. We're not what we could be. So figure out what it is. Now, for some of you, you know what that is? It's very easy for you. Some of you are here and you're like, I'm a grow group leader. It's what I do. Then I would say, lead that grow group. Keep leading and don't let anyone, you know, whatever you do, if you're a grow group leader at Gateway, God bless you. We need you. We love you. Here's what I don't want you to do. Don't sit there and go, yeah, but I wish I played the guitar. I think I should take some lessons and I want to be on the worship team, right? Because it's cool to be on the worship team. Or, oh, I think I want to, I'd love to be a, a middle school worker. Because, right, what could be funner than working with a bunch of middle schoolers, right? That, that's got to be like the coolest thing in the world. Don't do that to yourself. Whatever it is that God's made you to do, do that. Enjoy that. Throw yourself into that. Maybe you're, maybe you, God made you to be on the worship team. Do that. Maybe you're a Club W leader on Tuesday night. Do that. Maybe you're a youth leader or a Bible study teacher. Whatever that is, do that, do that. Find that thing and do that thing. And surround yourself with people who are encouraging you and valuing that. And then reach out and encourage those around you who do different things than you do. But everyone gets involved. Everyone is committed. Every part of the body, not just some. He says in verse 25 that, that there may be no division in the body, but that notice that the members may have the same care, that is the same love for one another, the same care. We love everyone. We love every gift. We love every, even, even, if, it, even if they bother us, even if they're like, wow, they're so different from us. We still value them. We still love them. We still pray for them. We still encourage them. Let's be a body who appreciates every gift, every part of the body, everyone who serves when you walk in and somebody helps you find a parking spot, you should say, thank you. I appreciate what you do. I'd never do it myself, but I appreciate you, you know? Or the person who shakes your hand, or, or the usher, or the musician, or the grow group leader, or the person who's next door with your kids, or in the back with your kids, or the people who will be here tonight with our, with our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. Be sure to tell them that you appreciate them. Be sure to pray for them and love them and care for them. You know, I, I think in this week, like who I appreciate, a couple of people come to mind. I, I really appreciate our treasurer and his team. I really appreciate them, right? Because I can't count. Once again, this week I was reminded, I can barely use a calculator. We'd be in huge trouble if I had to do that. And every week, this team works behind the scenes. You don't see them. You may not even know who they are, but they put in a lot of time making sure that everything is accountable, making sure that, you know, everything's being done right. Everything's being done the way that it should in terms of accounting. The bills are getting paid. I appreciate them so much. I appreciate people like Pastor Bill who does all the scheduling and the organizing of resources, right? Because I, I couldn't do that. There was a time when I did that. Years ago, there was a time when I was the one who kept the calendar and I was the one who did a lot of that stuff. And people who were on staff at the time can tell you, man, it wasn't pretty. It was ugly. Like they thank God for Pastor Bill because I, could, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. For those who are next door right now working in kids' church, Right? They're blessing you right now. You may not have thought, they're blessing you by blessing our kids right now and back in the nursery. 
Be sure to thank them. Be sure to appreciate them. And then he says this, now you are the body of Christ. I picture if Paul was here right now, he would do it this way. Now you and you and you, and even some of you over here, okay, are the body. You are the body. Not they are the body of Christ, but you together are the body of Christ. You are not consumers. You are not critics. You are not spectators. You are the body of Christ. So find some place to serve and be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the arms of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus, and serve people. And if you're one of those people who says, and sometimes people say to me, they'll say this, I love Jesus. I really can't stand his children. They drive me nuts. Nothing's ever good enough for them. Then I would say this, if you find people annoying and you really don't want to serve them, would you be willing to serve Jesus? The one who loves you and serves you every day. And if your answer is yes, then Jesus says, then just serve my kids. Just love them. Just fulfill your part. What does Gateway need? Well, Gateway needs you. We need help with our kids. We have a lot of kids God, God, God's bringing to our church and they need people who will love them and spend time with them. We need musicians. We need people on the soundboard. We need people doing tech. We need more people because we're really working our team hard. They're here a lot of weekends. We need more grow group leaders and homes for grow groups to meet in. We need more youth staff and welcome ministry. And we need, I discovered this week, man, we need, to, we need a website designer. We need some help with the audio stuff that we, we put online and with graphics and all of that. How has God designed you? What has God made you to do? I'm sure that we could use you. I'll just close by telling you this. I, uh, I became a follower of Christ when I was 15 years old. I was in high school. I've told you this. I'd never been to church, never heard the gospel, never read the Bible. And then God just, God just did this. He did this God thing that only God can do. I wasn't looking for him, but he found me. And in a very short period of time, what it seems like to me, I went from like not knowing anything about Jesus to, to being on my knees, placing my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And shortly after that, I, get, I started going to a small church down the street and I was going to this church. And for a while, I'd go, you know, I'd go to worship service and, and people would, they would minister to me. They'd shake my hand when I came in. They'd give me a bullet and they'd say, hi, somebody lead worship, somebody teach a sermon. I'd go to Sunday, you know, I'd go to youth group and somebody would teach and somebody would minister and all. So I'm in the church and there's, you know, the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus and they're serving me. They're blessing me. And then one day the youth pastor comes up to me after church and he says, hey, I heard you play the guitar. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I play the guitar. And he's like, we need a, we need a worship leader. Is there any way you could lead worship next week? Well, I don't know. I don't really lead worship. I, you know, worship. I, it's, worship's weird. This is the late 70s. Worship was weird in the late 70s. You know what I mean? Like, you know, songs with splish, splash, splish, splash, right? You know what I'm talking to? Only some of you know what I'm, like, who has, like, I remember that. I'm like, I don't know. This is weird stuff. This is, I don't know. Oh, well, okay, but, but we need you to do it. It was like, he wasn't really asking me so much as he was telling me. God made you to do this, so I need you to do this next week. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you. It'll be right at the beginning, 15 minutes. So I went home and I started listening to all these weird Christian songs and learned some of them, came back next week and did it. Now, what I discovered was a couple of things. First of all, it was intimidating. It was, it was hard work. The songs were weird. Uh, you know, some people didn't like it and they'd criticize you and all that kind of stuff. But there was also a satisfaction that came from serving God in a way that I had never experienced anywhere else, nowhere else. I mean, I experienced God when I read my Bible, but, and, and when I prayed, but not like 
when I actually served. It was different. There was a joy and a satisfaction that was different than I'd experienced anywhere else. A couple of years later, I moved to Arizona. I was going to college. I was a busy college student, going to school full-time, had a part-time job, and then had a ministry in a church in the community. And I was the, the second week I was at that church, I was, I, they didn't have a college Sunday school class, so I sat in on a junior high, high school combined class. It was a little church. I was kind of sitting in there, and somebody, a deacon was teaching, and they were teaching, and at the end of the Sunday school, everyone left, and he grabbed me. I'd been there two weeks. I didn't even know anybody. And he said, hey, you're in Bible college, right? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, can you teach next week? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't teach. I'm a musician. And he's like, yeah, but I need a teacher, so if you could just teach next week. And I'm like, but what do you teach? And I said, it doesn't matter. Whatever God puts on your heart. So, and it wasn't, again, I wasn't really being asked so much as he was saying, yeah, just, you know, come back and teach next week. I'm not asking you to become a, a preacher. Just teach next week. Can you just do that? So I came back. I went, went to school, put together a Sunday school lesson, came back the next week, and I taught. And I just did the thing. And when it was over, he came up and he said, you know what? You should be teaching. Um, you're just going to be the teacher from now on. Thanks. And off he went. But the thing is, I got to tell you, I went home that day. I went, went back to my dorm that day. And I, I, something happened to me as I served that morning that was so profound, that touched my soul and gave me a sense of satisfaction and joy. I went home. I just skipped lunch because I was so in awe of what God had just done. I had experienced, like I experienced God in prayer. I experienced God in worship. I experienced God and, you know, when we're together. But I had never experienced God like this. There is a way in which Jesus is working in you when he's working through you in a way that you'll never experience anywhere else. And that's what I want for you. I want every single person in our church to know what that is like because it is amazing. It is infectious when you do what God made you to do. So I don't know what that is, but we would love to help you with that. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be one, one body with one equal commitment from everyone. And if you just, if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know where to go with this, then find a pastor, find a wise Christian around you. Just say, I got to figure this out. I got to know what to do. And we'll help you get started down that path. Let's pray together.